Rejoice. And again I say rejoice. Be joyful in the Lord, all you people. And when these circumstances come, don't ask why. Ask what? Don't say, Lord, why are you doing this to me? Lord, why are you always punish me like this? Say, Lord, what are you trying to teach me through this? Lord, what is it in here you're trying to get at? What do you want to show me in my life? Lord, I just open my heart to you, and I ask you to reveal to me the reason for this thing coming on my life so that I can get it out and I can be what you want me to be. I know you're trying to teach me something. Lord, what is it? Isn't that better? Not why. What, Lord? And then say, Lord, I don't care what you want to do in my life. I a long time ago told you that you're Lord of my life. I've given you my body, a living sacrifice. doesn't make any difference. I don't live there anymore. It's Christ that lives in me. So I just give it all up to you. And Lord, in the midst of the darkest hour, I'm just going to rejoice in you. Now, you can't do that if you don't have the Word down in your heart. The Word talks about being rooted and grounded in the truth. That means sending your roots down into what? Feeling? Opinion? Imagination? No. Down into the Word of God. And when you do that, the Word says you flourish like the palm tree. You grow rapidly, you're fruitful, and so forth. That's how we can have joy in our life. Full of the lower nature will say, oh no, you've got a bone in your foot today, so you can't be joyful. You know that bill's coming up two days from now, so man, you've got nothing else to do today but sit here and soak on that and just worry about how that's going to be taken care of. You know, your car is just about ready to blow an engine and the rear end is starting to growl and the tires are on the last thread. You sit and, and soak on that all day. And we get ourselves over under those things and say, oh, oh God, this forsaken me completely. I'm the only one that hasn't bowed his knee to Baal. Instead of encouraging ourselves in the Lord by taking the word of God and getting it down into our heart, begin to praise the Lord for his holiness and his righteousness and, and his goodness to us. And beginning to confess, God, nothing can happen to you what you allow it. And if you allowed it, it's because you love me, and you love me so much you want me to be conformed into the image of the Lord Jesus. And since you love me that much, I'm going to praise you for this experience right now. Even though I don't understand it, I don't have to understand it. I belong to you, and you belong to me, and I'm going to confess the word of God. I'm not going to confess my situation and my circumstance. Praise the Lord. Is he able to give us the victory? Is he able to give you the victory in whatever that thing is that you're looking at right now? See, the trouble is we look at the thing instead of at Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He's the one that we're to look to day by day. And we'll be able to do it. The more we get the Word of God down into our heart, the more we'll be able to do it. I encourage you to read the Word of God every single day, a portion of it at least. Get some of it through you. As you get through all of it, get some of it through you at least. And get the Word down here. Get the promises of God down in your heart. Some of these verses that I've just given you tonight, just read them over and read them over and read them over. Get them down into your spirit. Because then your spirit will be able to put it down into your mind and your emotions and your will so that when the imaginations begin to work, it will be working upon the basis of God's word and the thoughts and the words that come out of your mouth will be based upon the truth of God's word and that can't be anything but faith. Trusting that this series on the tongue and the conflict in the life of the believer will be a tremendous encouragement to you to realize that you're not alone, but these are general conflicts that come into the life of every believer somewhere along the road. Consequently, we need to know the devices of the enemy that Paul spoke of and be able to walk in the knowledge that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. That greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, that we are more than conquerors through him that loves us. And because of this truth, we find out that when a person comes into Jesus Christ, I told you that there was a great conflict that took place. First of all, the pull of the lower nature and the physical senses through which we had received all of our information 
made all of our decisions, spoke all of our words before we came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ through repentance and faith, that now suddenly when a person comes to Christ, repents, turns from their sin, invites Jesus Christ in and makes him Lord of their life, he is suddenly quickened and made alive in Jesus Christ, and his spirit begins to bring into him a totally new means of information, totally new source of information into his life. And with that information, he is to begin to renew his mind and make new adjustments. Now, the first thing that he finds is immediately a conflict takes place because the old nature is still there. It still wants to have its own way. The old flesh is not crucified. We're to reckon it dead, but it keeps rising up. And it keeps wanting to have its way. And we have to make a decision every day as to who will control our lives. Paul said, I die daily. I am crucified with Christ. That means that by an act of his will, he reckoned himself to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. Now, you can't be alive unto God if you aren't dead to sin. You're alive to the flesh. Spirit of God cannot give you the direction and the guidance you and I need as a believer. So this conflict takes place in the life and mind of the individual who has been born again of the Spirit of God. Now I want you to understand that this is very important who wins in this battle because by the winning of this battle, the heart, that's in the, down in a man's heart, out of his mouth will flow whatever wins in his heart. This becomes the source of his words. And that's the thing we've been talking about is the word. It, it happens through, our, through the coming of our heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. That's so very important. The heart is only filled with what we put into it. If we put in just this information from the world, the flesh, and the enemy, if we only draw upon that, then we're going to constantly have conflict. If we allow the Spirit of God, and we do not grieve the Spirit of God, the Word tells us we are not to grieve the Spirit of God. If we will allow the Spirit of God to have His way, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's that simple. I want you to know there is not a born-again believer on the face of the earth who does not have conflict. And with this world so full of uncertainty, and I say uncertainty because you hear over the television today that before long, maybe within the next 10 or 15 years, there's a possibility there won't be any drinking water available to mankind. There will be about one person for every three square feet on the earth, or maybe it's one square foot, I can't remember exactly now. The air is going to be so polluted before long, we'll all be dying of, of lung cancer. There'll be no food before long. Great famines are going to sweep the earth. Of course, this caused turmoil in the lives of many believers, I mean, many people, because they don't understand that God is still in control. These things have been predicted, and, uh, but it, it still causes uncertainty, and it also causes disappointment in life. Today, if you haven't lived long enough to have disappointment, you haven't lived very long, because life is full of disappointments. You may have felt, well, I failed as a parent, or... I failed as a student, or I haven't been what I ought to be. Things haven't turned out just exactly the way I thought, and consequently we get discouraged. I know that right now I'm sure that there are thousands around the country who are getting laid off who thought things were going to go on as they always have been, and now these automotive companies are closing down, closing their doors, and thousands are going away with all the year's seniority down the drain. And there's disappointment in their life. You don't have to live very long to find out that this old world is a greedy world. I told you the philosophy of capitalism is get all you can, can all you get, sit on the lid and poison the rest. We're finding that's happening in the United States more and more today. Everybody's out to do his own thing and get what he can possibly get, and anyone who gets in the way, it's his own problem. This life is full of tragedy. I don't have to be a pastor very long, and you don't have to live very long to see how tragic things are happening in the lives of many people. Tragically. When these things come into our lives, the logical thing, the logical, human, natural thing is to say, well, give up. What's the use? Forget it. Let's can the whole thing. Just pack it up. Let's go home. Forget about it. Give up. No more. 
Either that or we get mad and we begin to fight back. We forget that vengeance is mine, I'll repay, saith the Lord. I'm talking about the natural man. If somebody's going to do me dirt, boy, I'll get back with them. But generally speaking, people say, I just can't make it, I'm through, I'm finished, I'm really a failure, and I'm just going to commit suicide and forget it all. Now, this all comes in from this direction. All that information is stored in because it's not drawing on the life that is in available to the child of God. You see, when that new person in Christ is born of the Spirit of God, he has a new input. A, I don't know what they call it in the computer program, but there's a new program that comes in all of a sudden from a totally new source. I want you to see some for, for these experiences of life what the Word of God has to say for the believer. Now, this is the conflict that takes place. The world, the flesh and the devil says, are you through? You're finished? You're no good? There's no chance? Just give up? Commit suicide? Look what the Word of God says. Turn to Saul's goodness. You see, the natural man can't receive these promises because he doesn't understand spiritual things. But once you've been born again to the Spirit of God, it becomes exciting. Psalm 9, 9. Now, this is a new input that can come into your computer bank to base your decisions and words upon. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. Now, if you haven't learned yet as a believer that God is your refuge, a sure help in the time of trouble, that you can hide under his wings, in the secret place of his hiding shall he hold you, and you can dwell there and rest even in the midst of the storm. This is one of the blessings that the believer can confess day by day. Turn to Psalm 32.10. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, what? Mercy shall comfort him about. Glory to God. Many afflictions shall come to the wicked, but to those that fear the Lord, mercy. They that trust in the Lord, mercy shall comfort him about. Psalm 33.18, just the next chapter. Behold, the eyes of uh, the eye of the Lord is upon them that what? Fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. I don't know how we're going to make it. We're just going to starve. I haven't got any more food coming in. Paycheck is stopped. You know, that's the flesh talk. But we don't confess what the flesh says. We confess what the Word of God says. And the Word of God says here, The eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy to deliver their souls from death and to keep them alive in famine. It doesn't say you'll keep them fat in famine. It says you'll keep them alive in famine. So there's never going to be a time when you can't make it. Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. When the enemy comes and says, you're not going to make it, you're going to go under, there's no possible way, just go and commit suicide, give up, quit. You can say, oh no, I trust in the Lord and I'm going to be safe. He's going to provide for me even in the famine. I don't have to confess these failure thoughts. I don't have to confess suicide. I don't have to confess weakness. I don't have to confess defeat. My tongue is going to speak what the Word says. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Now, you see, these things are, that are in your heart are going to come out one way or another. So what you have there is very important. And that's why the Word of God says that we should hide the Word of God in our heart. Isaiah 26.3, just a couple of books over. Boy, I could almost sing that one. Thou will keep him in perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed on thee. Praise the Lord. Because he what? Trusteth in thee. Perfect peace. God, you're going to keep me in perfect peace through this situation. I know I've had a great loss. I know that I've lost a loved one. I know that there's been a financial crisis. But my mind is on thee. My eyes are on thee. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. Always and again I'm going to rejoice. 
From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the Lord's name shall be praised. My lips will bless the Lord, O oh my soul. What a formula for a nervous breakdown, huh? Praise the Lord. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Hebrews, you don't have to turn to it, but Hebrews 13, 5 says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And I've said it time and time again because it blesses me. In the Greek, it actually says, I will not. This is the Lord speaking. I will not. I will not. I will not let you down. I will not. I will not let you go. Now, when he says it twice, you know he means it. When he says it three times, forget any other thing. I will not. I will not. I will not let you down. I will not. I will not let you go. Glory to God. Well, the Lord's forsaken me. I'll not confess that because he says he won't do it. And if he says he won't do it, let every man be a liar, but let God be true. God has not failed. God is my sufficiency. What am I saying? I'm saying fill up the fountain with the right juice, and when it comes out, it'll always be sweet. The constant assurance to the born-again believer is based upon John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You can stand in the midst of the storm and be able to say, Jesus Christ loves me. The Father loves me. God is saying to me, if I love him, I'll not fear. That's what he says in his word. He loves me. The Lord Jesus loves me. And if I love him, there will be no fear whatsoever. 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love because perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment. And by the way, you know, I could stop right here. I could. I won't. But I could stop here for the next hour and a half and... Preach on that one verse in our marriage relationship. My wife won't submit to me. She fears you probably. Can't trust you. Unreservedly, she'll trust you if she knows that you love her. Now, my husband doesn't treat me very nicely, or my wife doesn't treat me very nicely because you don't really express deep concern and love for each other. If you would, perfect love casteth out all fear. You don't have to worry what they might do or to you or say to you. They might hurt you because perfect love can cast out that fear. I won't get into that. I won't preach on that. I promise you. All right, I'm going to go on. Perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment. And you see, the more you walk in these truths, that God is with you, God loves you, he'll never leave you nor forsake you, that he's going to surround you, he's going to provide for you, he's going to protect you, he's your shield and buckler. When you can confess these things, faith begins to build up. Faith cometh by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, you can't get faith if you don't get the word. I'm going to say that again. You can't get faith if you don't get the Word into your heart. Get the Word down in your heart, and the Word comes up. I find more and more, the longer I'm in the ministry, when I begin to counsel with someone, all I'm, I'm listening to myself once in a while, all of a sudden I'm aware of what I'm saying, and it's Scripture verse, Scripture verse, Scripture verse. Why? Because that's the only thing that brings life. That's the only thing God promised to bless. Get the Word down in your heart, and then the Spirit of God can bring it up in times of emergency. Praise the Lord. God said it, I believe, and that's good. And you know, that's nice to sing, but if we can walk it out, then it becomes exciting. Because that's the conflict that's going to come in our life. It's going to be the difference in confidence in the Lord. The Spirit of God is saying, have confidence, have trust in the Lord. And the enemy's going to come along and say, oh, no, you've got to be afraid. You've got this problem, you've got that problem. You're not going to be able to meet your bills, and I wish these things would be a little more obedient to me. Whether you can read that or not, fear? No, not going to be read. Time and time again, the enemy's going to come to you in your Christian experience, and you'll think, well, the next time I'm going to trust the Lord, and the next time it's the same thing all over again. It's nice to preach about these things, because when I'm talking about them, I know that you begin to say, amen, that's right, that's what I need to do. But you know something? It doesn't always happen that way. Just about the time you've got victory, the enemy comes along, the old lower nature starts raising its ugly head and saying to you, ah, you sinned. Ah, now you're in trouble with God. 
God doesn't love you anymore. See, you are a failure. Not that you failed, but you're a failure. Now God isn't going to listen to you anymore. And unless you have the word of God down in your heart, he's going to win a victory over you because you have to choose whom you're going to believe. Now here's where the victory or the defeat comes into the life of the believer. You can read all these verses that I just read that the Lord will never leave us nor forsake us, that he loves us and all these good things, and you'll sin against the Lord and suddenly the devil just comes and says, that did it. You just got blown out of the water. You had it. Now he's going to listen to you. And you forget that God said in 1 John 1, 9, if... We confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, even Jesus Christ the righteous. And he's the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Now you see, that's down in your heart and the enemy comes and says, you're done, you're through, you're finished. God is going to hear you. You come right back and say, Satan, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. The word of God says, I have an advocate with the Father. Lord Jesus, I confess and I agree with you that that's sin. I confess to you that I don't want that in my life and I ask you to remove it from my life and I claim my forgiveness and cleansing in Jesus' name. Glory, hallelujah, I'm on the way of victory again. I'm on the way of victory whether you are or not. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never, never pass away. So I stand not upon what the enemy tells me, not what the flesh tells me. I stand on what the word tells me. Then when the enemy comes, I can have confidence. I can be what Paul talked about when he said, I am more than conqueror through him that loved me and gave himself for me. Now, when he talks about being more than conqueror, he did it's a very descriptive word in the Greek. It means that you've gone out into the field, you have fought the battle, the enemy is lying on the ground, you have your foot on his chest, and you raise your sword and said, are there any other comers? That's what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about, we just barely made it. He's talking about not only winning, but having strength left over to go on and do some more. And the only time that's going to happen is when we walk in the knowledge of the Word of God. Have our confidence. Psalm 119, 130 says, The entrance of thy words giveth light, it giveth understanding to the simple. You say, Brother Webb, I don't have enough education to have that kind of faith. <laughs> Glory to God. This is my confidence and my assurance here. It says it even gives understanding to the simple. If it didn't, I wouldn't be able to make it. But God says that it's his word. Let it in, let it in, let it in. It will bring light. And when light comes, darkness has to flee. And when light comes, understanding comes. And that's even for the simple person. So you can't say, well, when I get a college education, then I'll be able to agree with all these things. When the enemy comes against you and says that you're through, that you can't make it, you're not going to be able to see through because you've been defeated, all you have to do is begin to remember that the Holy Spirit encouraged or enlightened Paul to write the 8th chapter of Romans. Turn to it with me, will you? Romans, the 8th chapter. This is the difference between confidence and failure and defeat. Romans, the 8th chapter, verses 31 through 39. I want to read them to you. Now, we're feeding our new nature. Get your spiritual mouth open now. 31 through 39. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? You say, well, let's see. Does this person, that person, the other? No, that's what Paul's saying. If God's for us, it doesn't make any difference who's against us. Because you and God make a majority. You're on the winning side. If you don't believe that, read the last chapter. It tells us that we win. See? That's what you have to be assured of. First of all, go to the back of the book. You know, you hate people who read mystery books and read the last chapter first, don't you? But God wants you to read the last chapter in this book so that all the way through you can say it doesn't make any difference what the problems are. We win. That's the important thing. If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us a few things? 
Praise the Lord for all things. Some people say, well, if the Lord just give me enough to get by my skin and my teeth, I'll be satisfied. He says, you'll give us all things. And according to your faith, so shall it be unto you. Some of us, you know, have, have bicycle faith. Some of us have Volkswagen faith. Some of us have Cadillac faith. According to your faith, so shall it be unto you. But you know something? I found out in my experience of faith that God gives exceeding abundantly above all that I could even ask or think. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Satan comes along and says, boy, that did it. Who are you, Satan? What right do you have to tell me that it's Jesus Christ that justifies me and condemns me, not you? He said, I'm justified. I made the righteousness of God in him. Get away from me. I'm going to sing and I'm going to confess. My confidence is in the Lord. He is my strength. Praise the Lord. Verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also make of intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. Some people say, ouch, that's just what I've gone through. You see, by the according to the amount of the word you have in your heart, and you're walking in faith with the Lord because of that word, will determine where you stand when these things come against you. Paul says, these things can't separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Keep on walking. As it is written, for thy sake we're killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. There it is, that verse. Put on their chest, sword raised in the air, and say, are there any other comers? Come on, anyone else want to try it? Well, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Now, let me ask you something. Does this sound like confidence, or does this sound like fear? Confidence. Now, if anybody had gone through it, the Apostle Paul went through it. Beating, shipwrecked, all these other things, imprisonment, starving practically at times. And yet he said, none of these things separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. You say, well, up till now I've made it, but boy, tomorrow or next week I imagine I'm going to go under because it looks bad. No, it says things to come aren't going to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, so his word is still good for you if you're born again in the Spirit of God. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. May I just challenge you to begin to read the promises of God and allow the promises of God to fill your heart and your spirit so full that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will take that word and raise up a standard against the enemy, and you will stand victorious over because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, and you have the word down in your heart. That's so important. I read one time, I think it was Jamie Buckingham, had an article on the back of his paper, talking about a man he went to see that was building a boat. And out of curiosity, he says, do you build it for the storm or do you build it for the calm? He says, I always build it for the storm. When you're trying to establish your heart in the Lord, build it for the storm. Don't build it for the calm. That's when you're going to need the Word of God most desperately in your life, when the storm is coming. This is a concept that many Christians do not totally understand, the warfare that's taking place within their heart every day. And that God has already given us the tools and the weapons and the instruments that we can use to win the victory. The only thing is, we have to be aware of the fact that the enemy is there trying to defeat us on every turn. And he's had a few more thousand years of experience than we have. But we have the Word, we have the Spirit of God, we have the mind of Christ. We have the, the armor of God. We're to put it on every day. You know, usually people don't put on a coat of armor, a suit of armor to go out and play in the sandbox. They understand when they get that on that somewhere around there's danger. 
That's why Paul says we must understand that we're to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ. This morning we were talking about confidence and fear. The Lord says we're to have confidence. That confidence is based upon his word, upon his promises, that he will never leave us, never forsake us, that he's our all-sufficiency. I want you to turn with me now to 1 Timothy. We were talking at the end of this morning about Romans 8, the 8th chapter, how nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And tonight I want, you to, I want to share with you now the strength and the equipment that God has given us in order to stand against the wiles of the devil. 2 Timothy, the first chapter, and the seventh verse. The very thing that we've been talking about, confidence and fear, is evidenced here in the book of Timothy, when Paul was writing to Timothy about what God has given us as equipment. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. Now when we feed ourselves on the word of God, as I said this morning, get the word of God down in your heart, fill your heart with the word of God, so that when it comes up out of your mouth as a fountain, the words that come out will have to come out in the will of God, in the Holy Spirit, not consuming it upon the lust of the flesh, but rather fulfilling the desires of the Holy Spirit. And that's a very important thing, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. And when people go around with fears, it's evidence that that area of their life has not been controlled by the Spirit of God. Paul said here, and then by the way, that word fear, spirit of fear, some have translated it fearfulness, faint-heartedness, afraidness, and cowardice. God has not given us a spirit of cowardice, but of power and of love and of a sound mind in all situations. Now, if I were to take just a moment and try to break that down, as some of our Greek scholars have done, I would, I would just simply say where it says power, God has given us a spirit of power. Do you know Jesus said as he was ascending to his disciples, the 500 outside the city of Jerusalem, go back into Jerusalem now and tarry there until you be endued with power from on high. Now that's the power that Paul was talking about here. He's not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power. The Holy Ghost is a spirit of power. He's given us the spirit of power over sin. Or he says, sin shall not have dominion over you and me. Now that's something that you need to be able to put down in your spirit every day when the temptations come. And by the way, temptation is not sin. It is giving in to temptation, yielding to temptation that's sin. So when temptation comes, you can say, I'm my spirit, I have the spirit of power within me, and sin shall not have dominion over me. Because I have the spirit of power, and that power is the power over sin. I reckon myself dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. Sin shall not have dominion over me. I refuse that. I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. He has given us also the spirit of power to witness. He said, ye shall be witnesses unto me in Judea and in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. As you're going into all the world, preach the gospel. Jesus said to the disciples, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You'll quit fishing for fish and you'll start fishing for men. That's the power that he's given us also. By the way, I believe that a spirit-filled person has the power to witness. Not necessarily a spirit-baptized person. There are a lot of spirit-filled people that can witness very readily and have never had the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I had a very interesting experience with a dear brother that I love so much that I ministered with up in Minnesota. He used to be the director of Youth for Christ in Minneapolis. Uh, he, they were, he and his wife were here, and uh, he was beginning to share with me very earnestly how he felt certain men of God down through the, in these last days were the men of God that were carrying the torch and holding up the truth and avoiding all confusion. And uh, his emphasis was on the fact that they were against the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And as he began to share these things with me, I began to get a little smile on my face. And I said, brother, I have something to share with you. 
And uh, he said, what's that? And so I began to explain to him what had happened in my life since I came down from Minnesota and the new truths that the Lord had brought to me and the experiences that I'd had through that and the miracles. And he began to listen very closely. He said, but, and then he'd give me a scripture verse. And I'd say, yes, I know it says that, but let's apply it properly. And I'd say this. I'd say, now, but do you understand what this says over here? And, uh, well, I didn't know it said this. He says, well, what about this? And when we got all through, it was 4.30 in the morning. We started about 10.30 at night, I think it was. And 4.30 in the morning, we, we didn't get through. We quit. We got down to pray, and his first prayer was, Dear Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for what we've heard tonight. And whatever it is, if it's a, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, if it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if there's anything else and, that you have for me from the Word of God, Lord, I'm not closing myself to any, but I'm open, and you give me anything and everything you have, because I want it all. I thought, what a wonderful blessing it is to see how the Holy Spirit is faithful. But here was a man that was so convinced that he had everything. And I shared with him what I felt was the difference between the fullness and the baptism and the Holy Spirit. And he had never understood it like that at all before. What a thrill it was to see his heart hungry for the things of God. God has given us the spirit of power to witness for him. And let me assure you, if the spirit of God is not upon you, you can talk until you're blue in the face and nothing will be accomplished. I found a long time ago that it is not my responsibility to win people to Christ. It's my responsibility to witness and it's the Holy Spirit's responsibility to convict them of their need and cause them to come to Jesus Christ. Keep that in mind because it will sure take care of the doldrums from witnessing. The third thing is he's given us the spirit of power to endure and endure with long suffering. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up the wings of eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God gives us a spirit that if we'll pray in the spirit and just wait before him praying in the spirit, he says it will charge our battery. We can go right on. We don't have to stop. That's the spirit of power that he's given us also. Praise God, he's also given us the spirit of power that enables us to die. When the time comes and we need to die, if it's for the cause of Christ, we're ready to die. You know, some people just feel that if, you, if someone dies, that they, they just didn't have faith. But the word tells me that all the Old Testament saints died in faith. I believe there comes a time for that, but you know that when I read the life of Stephen, the scripture tells me in Acts the 6th chapter... That Stephen was filled with the Holy Ghost and wisdom, was a godly man. And when he went out and witnessed to the men, his reasoning was so powerful that they could not argue with him. He just overwhelmed them with the truth of the Word of God. Until finally they couldn't stand it anymore and they stoned him. The Word of God tells me that Stephen was full of faith and power. A spirit of power in his life allowed him to be able to stand and look up. And he said he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, not seated, Standing with his arms outstretched, and he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. After, first of all, he had said, Father, forgive them, for they don't even know what they're doing. Now you receive my spirit. The spirit of the power to be able to die without fear. I tell you, this world is filled with people tonight who are afraid to even talk about or think about death. And, you know, if they were gambling people at all, they would know that their odds are incredible. I don't know of too many people that have missed it. Sooner or later, it hits every one of them. And it's going to happen to every one of us if Jesus doesn't come first. But what a thrill it is to know that when we're in Jesus Christ and we've been born of the Spirit of God, that we have no fear of death. No death, where is thy sting, O grave, where is thy victory? Paul said. Praise God. That's the spirit of power. And it says the spirit of love. I read it to you this morning that perfect love casteth out all fear. Now, may I just give you another illustration on that particular subject of the spirit of love. When it says that perfect love casts out fear, it means it casts out fear in every circumstance. 
even circumstances where you'd say, well, I understand, it's just normal. It's just, uh, it's a natural thing for you to get worried and concerned at a time like that. But as I was thinking about this and praying over it, the Lord reminded me of the experience of the disciples when Jesus was very tired and he lay down on the, in the boat and there was a pillow, evidently a built-in pillow, there where somebody could lay down and sleep. And as he went to sleep and started to cross the Sea of Galilee, this sea, as you read about it, uh, the geography of it, there are high mountains on each side, and way at one end there's a, a deep gorge. And they say that when a storm comes on that sea, it comes down through that gorge, and it will, the winds will hit that sea, and in just a few moments it's just rolling, boiling. Now that's very dangerous, especially if a, lake is, if a sea is not very deep. That's why up here, one of the great lakes up here is a very shallow lake, and they said there are more ships sunk on that lake, on Lake Erie, than virtually any other uh, sea in the world. Because when it gets rough, it gets rough suddenly and viciously, and it'll just literally tear ships apart and put them to the bottom. Well, the scripture says that the disciples, as they went across, were suddenly hit with a storm, and they did everything they could, and when they couldn't do anything else, they ran and said, Master, aren't you the least bit concerned? Uh, don't you care that we're perishing? And the Greek just indicates that Jesus immediately awakened and he spoke to the winds and the waves and said, Be still. The word says that, then he turned to them and said, Why are you so fearful, you of little faith? When I read that, I thought, Well, now, wait a minute, Lord. Just a few verses before you said that, I read where the scripture says that, And the waves now beat into the ship so that it was now full. The Greek word actually means that it was, it was just filling up, just getting completely swamped with water. Now let me ask you something. If you were out on an ocean or out on a sea and the ship in which you were dwelling was not made of fiberglass filled with foam that would float by itself and all of a sudden you're getting awfully full and you've done everything you could as a sailor. And by the way, that took some faith too. Here all some of these disciples were experts of the boat. And when they didn't know what to do, they went to Jesus. He was a carpenter. But they came to Jesus and they said, what are we going to do? The boat's full of water. And he said, what's the matter with your faith? If we sit down and try to reason that, you know, I don't know about you, but I would have probably been going to him too. Hey, Lord, I'll tell you what. Lord, it's up to here now. By the time we do it, just a little bit more, we're going to go under. But Jesus said, perfect love casts out all fear. In the darkest of night, in the midnight hour, when everything seems absolutely hopeless, as with David and his men, as I told you there, how he encouraged himself in the Lord, in that very moment, we look to the Lord, we trust the Lord, we praise the Lord, we know that, you know, really, if those disciples had really understood the truth of the matter, it would have been impossible for that ship to be sunk. How could it sink with Jesus in the vessel? The God of all creation is who was not about ready to end his life on the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. The first, that's the first thought. The second thought is it would have been impossible for it to sink because Jesus said, go to the other side. If Jesus said, go to the other side, that boat was going to the other side. Jesus doesn't give us something that we can't do. See, and that's why he's given us a spirit of power and he's given us a spirit of love. If he says it, it doesn't make any difference what it looks like. If we really trust him, it's going to work. He's given us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. When we have a word, one word can mean several different things. If I say, dear, you don't know that I'm talking about my wife or a four-legged animal or somebody shot. We have some words like that, you know. In the Greek, there are many different shades of meaning to it. But it says a sound mind means a sane mind, a balanced mind, or a disciplined mind. That means that the mind of Christ that we have received is not a mind of fanaticism. It's not a mind of timidity. Now, I say fanaticism because I'll tell you, you, you'll find today that many people are in mental institutions 
who were very religious. But let me assure you, they did not have the spirit of a sound mind or they wouldn't be where they are. The enemy has come in and deceived them and distraught them and drawn them away and they've been led off into fanaticism and that's not the spirit of a sound mind. It's not the spirit of timidity either. Because you can, as I said some time ago, I never did get to it, but a long time ago I was going to preach a sermon on, oh, you wonder where the yellow went in Peter. Before the, the resurrection, the word of God tells me that he was afraid, fearful, he denied his Lord three times, and when the Holy Spirit came on him, he had a spirit of a sound mind and timidity was gone. He was a totally new person now. And if you and I have timidity within us, it's because we have not truly loved the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. We've not committed our lives to him completely, and we're still a little bit ashamed to tell of him. We're still self-conscious instead of Christ-conscious. But he said, I've not given you a mind of timidity, or nor a mind of despondency. Let me assure you, anytime you get down in the dumps, that's not of the Lord. And you begin to praise your way out of it, you begin to rebuke your way out of it, you begin to confess your way out of it, and you'll come out of it. You begin to rebuke your way out of it, you begin to confess your way out of it, you begin to pray your way out of it, and you'll get out of it. And when you can't do it all by yourself, get another brother or sister with you and begin to pray your way out of it together. By the words of your mouth, you're snared. And it's what's in your mind. Sound mind. Now, a sound mind can only happen when it's coming from this direction and not from this direction. Remember? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. And I'll tell you, this truth, this verse, can cause a confidence to come into your life like you've never known before. You'll get it down in your spirit. God has not given me a spirit of fear. I'm not going to fear. You know, I travel around and, and I'm in contact with people all the time. And people say, oh, I'm just so afraid of this. I'm so afraid of water. I'm just so afraid to ride down the road. I just can't go to sleep in a car. I'm just so afraid to get on an airplane. I'm just so afraid of animals. I'm just so afraid of bugs. I'm so afraid of mice. That's all that I'm so afraid. I'm so afraid. I feel like just screaming out. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. Why do you keep confessing fear? God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all you can ask or think. Ask him to get that fear out of your life. You won't receive that fear anymore. Ask him to set you free of that fear. I believe he can do it. I know he can do it. Glory to God. I don't know why we go around hanging these little fears and, and all these anxieties all over ourselves. Jesus said, I'm coming that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Peace I give unto you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give unto you. Oh, boy, I'm afraid. I just feel so badly for them. No, we really have to watch it when we're around people because we're always telling each other about our confession. You going through that in your homes all the time? Go with somebody and somebody will pipe up and someone will say, that's not my confession. They look at me like, what are you talking about? We just know the importance of what we say and what we shouldn't say. As I told you some several years ago, we need to change our vocabulary. So many Christians are tickled to death, thrilled to death, scared to death, you know, all these different things, death, 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 death. And we, why don't we say we're tickled to life? I just, I just tickled to life, you know. I was just thrilled to life. Why not? I'd rather be thrilled to life than to be thrilled to death, I'll guarantee you. Huh? We need to change our vocabulary. Why do we always talk about death? It's because it's come from down here. Death, death, death. That's all that comes out of the enemy and out of the flesh. We need to start talking about life. I'm coming that you might have life. And I'll tell you, when we get that confidence out of the heart, God can use confident men. You don't have to go very far in the scripture, and you'll see that God is looking for confident men that believe him, that he can do what he says he can do. Can you go back with me for a minute to Israel when they were supposed to go into the promised land? Remember what happened? They got on the border, and I don't even remember whether it was directed of the Lord or not, but Moses thought he better send in a search party. 
They chose one man out of each tribe of the twelve tribes and said, now go in and search out the land. And they came back, twelve of them. They got back and two men were carrying one cluster of grapes on them, uh, between them on a, a long pole. Can you imagine that? I had a tomato vine one time in Minnesota that I stuck in the compost heap and it was so long that I had to pick up the roots and throw it in the, at the end of the season, throw the roots into the trailer, pick up the middle of it and drop it in the trailer, and pick up the front or the other end of it and throw it in the trailer. And it had hundreds of tomatoes all over because it had rich roots. But here were a grape, one cluster of grapes. They had to carry it on a pole between. And they just said it was a land flowing with milk and honey. Boy, you talk about high, living high on the hog. If we ever get in there, that's where we're going to really live high on the hog. It's beautiful. But now I've noticed what happened. They said, give a report. Ten of them said, oh, it's beautiful in there, but let me tell you, I almost got stepped on. What are you talking about? Well, I felt like a, I felt like a grasshopper. I was hiding over under that bush, and pretty soon his great big foot came right down in front of me and went on, and I looked up, and there was a giant. That land's full of giants. They'll walk around stomping us like a bunch of grasshoppers. We can't go in there. Then there were two left, Caleb and Joshua. They stood up and said, not only is that land beautiful, but that land is ours. God said it's ours. It's ours. God said he'll drive them out before it. It's ours. God said that he's greater with us. He's going to be with us. He's not going to leave us. He's not going to forsake us. He's going to go before us, behind us, and over us, around us. Glory to God. It's ours. We take it. 